Good morning, Timberline family. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Please stand with us if you're able, and let's celebrate that promise this morning. And if you're feeling bold, clap with me for this, this first song.
What a proclamation. Hey, can we pray together as a family? Lord, we come to this place this morning to worship. And in that invitation and to worship, Lord, is the opportunity to bring all of us. So this morning as a community and a congregation, we bring our brokenness. We bring our confusion of the events at Robb Elementary. We bring our frustrations. We bring our anger. We bring our hurt and our pain and our questions. Lord, why does evil seem to be so loud in a world that you have said you have come to save and redeem and break the chains? We don't have answers in this moment, God. We don't even sometimes have peace. And so we take a moment to recognize all the unknowns, all the hurts, all the loss, all the sadness, the deep sadness, Lord. And we recognize the evil that is at work that tries to be so much louder than the good that you are doing in our hearts and in our lives and in this city and in this state and in this country and in this world. So Father, help us not to miss your hand at work in our workplace, in our lives, in our families. Father, teach us not only to mourn and to grieve and to be frustrated and to ask, but Father, teach us to pursue you, to look for the good and to say, I stand, I stand with a God who is a chain breaker, who moves the unmovable, who calls me beloved, and who says, I will and I have, and I always will work all things for my glory and the good of my people, those who I have called by name. And so, Father, not only in our brokenness do we say we are nothing, but we also step back and say, but you have called us something. You have called us by name. You have said we are yours. You've said we are not alone. We are not powerless in an evil and broken world. We are called to be, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the good in broken and dark places. And so, Lord, for every soul in this room, light a fire, Jesus. Give us power, give us courage, give us strength to go into places that are broken and imperfect and to say there is a God and there is a Savior and there is a Bible that is real and full of truth and testimony and He loves us. Father, for anyone else that has experienced loss this week, be with them, comfort them. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives and in this world. We surrender it to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, friends, will you turn to somebody next to you, shake their hand, give them a fist bump, say, I see you, and Jesus loves you. I see you and Jesus loves you. I played, um, I played basketball in college and that was something that when somebody did something really cool, they scored, a teammate scored, a teammate stole a ball, a teammate had a great defensive move. We just from the benches, hey, I see you. I see the work you're putting in. I see the prayers you're praying. I see the, the, the practices you've shown up for. I see you. And it's just a moment that we get a look at someone that maybe we'll, we'll never see again. And we just say, hey, I, I see you today. As a person, you have value. And more than that, man, Jesus loves you. And sometimes I, I have to remind myself of that because I'm pretty hard on myself. 
And I have to just stop and say, man, I'm loved so much by my creator and my king. So we see you here at Timberline, and Jesus loves you. Also, I want to let you know, as we stand with Rob Elementary, our missions team has a heart for local missions. We want to be involved. So at the end of service, outside at guest services, we have an opportunity for you to write just a quick letter of hope and encouragement to the families that were impacted by the shooting. So if the Lord leads you to do that, we would love for you to take two seconds to do that on your way out. My name is Nikki McIntosh. I'm the Young Adults Director here at Timberline Church. I have the privilege to hang out and serve our young adults body of college students and college age friends, um, but also 20s and 30s. We have a super healthy ministry and we would love for you to get involved. Also, if this is your first time, special welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. If you're joining us online, welcome to that virtual space. And if you've been here for a while, we're so glad that you're still here. On the seat back in front of you is a connect card. This is the easiest way to find out who we are, what we do. Maybe you wanna get involved deeper into a small group or a connect group. We also have an incredible team of pastors on call and care team that is here to meet you in spaces of need and times of hardship or just times of celebration. We love hearing the good work that God is doing in your life. So you can connect with us on that QR code. We are also super excited. How many of you guys noticed there were some, some really nice shiny pieces of equipment out in the front lobby, which means that next weekend is Oh, Biker Sunday, you guys. I'm so excited to share with you at our 1130 service next weekend, Biker Sunday is happening. What this means is basically there's motorcycles everywhere, motorcycles driving through here. So if you like fumes and you like a little bit of a different church service and you like rock and roll and you have a leather jacket that you haven't pulled out of your closet for a couple years, put it on, come to the 1130 service. We would love to have you. There's going to be spaces to park motorcycles. There's going to be a blessing on the bikes after service. And even if you don't drive a motorcycle, we would love to have you. It's an awesome experience. If you do not like fumes, loud noise, leather jackets, crazy music, we have other services, three other services that we invite you to attend that weekend. But I'm so excited I get to plug that. If you didn't see the bikes, they're in the lobby. They're beautiful. You get to enjoy them on your way out. And each of them belongs to a pastor at this church. And I just love that. I love that. Finally, you guys, we have The Well. This is a resource we've been plugging because we want you to know that there are tools available to you as you leave here on a Saturday or a Sunday. The Well is online. It's underneath our resources page. Resources page. We have an app. It's easy to get to on the app. But this is something that we've just wanted to grow and give you guys tools as you leave here and a topic maybe struck a chord or you want to find out more about it. So this weekend, we're talking about worry. So on The Well, you're going to find podcasts on worry, books on worry, playlists on worry, other resources in Fort Collins that we want to connect you with so that you can go deeper with the Lord and maybe with your community into this topic. So we're excited and that's going to be there forever and it's going to be an ongoing resource we're going to build as we head into new sermon series. Wanted you guys to know about that. And with that, let's tune into Pastor Jeff as he wraps up our Healthy Mind series on worry. I try and time it so I'll arrive here just as the music ends. Did you? Hope you like that. That was good. I've been practicing all week. So great to see you uh, and welcome. If you're watching online, again, welcome to you. Memorial Day can descend into simply being a commercial opportunity to get a bargain 
or the opportunity to cremate some cheeseburgers with family and friends. But actually, I quite seriously think that with all that is going on in our world at this time, we so value, we so value our safety and our freedom. And that means that not simply because it's that day, but we genuinely want to express appreciation to those who have served, who are serving, uh, or who have perhaps paid the ultimate price in the loss of a loved one in service. We want to genuinely honor you and thank you. And so, if you're serving, if you've served, if any of the descriptors I've just mentioned, if that's you, we would like to authentically honor you and thank you. So would you please, right now, stand so that we can do that with huge enthusiasm. Those who are serving, have served. Thank you so much for your service. Well, we are uh, ending this Healthy Mind series this weekend, and this is the last in the series. This weekend, we're talking about worry, as you've heard, and I've been kind of worried about this message, which is a bit awkward when you're worried about a message on worry, but let me explain that. Uh, this is a, a very complex subject, and throughout this series, we wanted to say that we're trying to provoke a biblical conversation, but we know that in the few minutes that we have together, we, we can't cover all of that. We can provoke the conversation. We can turn to God's Word. We also recognize that there are some anxiety issues that do require some professional help and assistance. So please hear that as we jump into this. Jesus told uh, those who were listening to him, that you cannot serve both God and money. And then in Matthew 6, verse 25, he followed that up by saying this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It happened a few months ago. Uh, right here, I was out uh, by guest services or the Welcome Center uh, greeting people, and um, my friend, Jeff, he's also got the name Jeff, and uh, he's a farmer, he came up to me, and we often have these fairly hilarious conversations at the weekend, and, and he came up and he said, hey, Pastor Jeff, would, would you like to come over to the farm this week? 
And uh, I said, well, maybe, well, what would that be for? And he said, well, we are preg-checking the cows. And we wondered if you'd like to help. Preg, and and I, what's, I said, what's, what's preg? He said, pregnancy checking the cows. And I made the mistake of asking how you do that. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, you, apparently you can do it with a blood test, but there is another more manual method. <laughs> I put that rather discreetly, didn't I? And as he unpacked this, I realized he didn't want me to lend him a hand. He wanted me to lend him my entire arm is what he wanted. <laughs> And uh, I, I, I said, oh, let, let me pray about that. Amen. No. <laughs> a couple of weeks later, he came up and he said, uh, we've got another opportunity for you. He said, we're doing some more work on the cattle. He said, we are, we're doing some um, castration. Castration. And I wept quietly for a few moments. And, uh, and then his face turned serious. And he said, you know what, could, could you agree with us? We need rain desperately, those of us in the farming community. And I, I spoke to him again this morning. We still desperately need rain. Our farmers are, are, are suffering. And as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, I hate rain. I do not like rain. I was raised in England. We have too much People say, England, it's so beautiful and green. That's because it's waterlogged. <laughs> Our summer lasts about 25 minutes. I've always hated rain. I love the sun. Give me the sun. And as I listened to him, my perspective changed forever on rain. And that day, actually, it rained a little. And as I looked through the the window outside, I said, oh, rain, great. My friend Jeff is going to be so happy. Keep praying. But my perspective changed. The way I look at that changed. Worry is a lens that changes our perspective. Think of it like this. This is worry. I know I look pretty cool, don't I? When I look at life through the lens of worry, the brighter days seem darker. The magnificent moments are lost. Everything seems a little more challenging. And not only that, but I can't see my notes. And it's a big problem. With the richest generation that has ever lived in the history of humanity, we have a greater life expectancy. If you were born in 1900, you'd expect to live to 50. Now it's 84 for men, a little longer for ladies. But we're worried. One person described their worry situation like this. I have a list of possible problems in my head. If all the real problems are solved, I turn another one into a problem so I can worry about it. These are constant facts of life. It's always been like this. Worrying. And worry means that we rush and hurry and our body is in a knot. And we're doing too many things and our minds cannot stop racing. 
and we lose sleep and we drive too fast and we're not able to be fully present with people and we get irritable about little things like standing in line at the grocery store and we start to think, even as I'm waiting in line, the prices are even going up higher or not being able to find your parking space at Timberline, the one Jesus gave you. (laughs) Worry. And of course, then there's Christian worries. I'm not good enough. I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I'm not pleasing God enough. And some of us worry a lot about what people think of us. Even though, as someone wisely said, We would worry less about what people think of us if we knew how little they actually think of us. Ronald Rollheiser said, it is no easy task to walk this earth and find peace. Inside of us, it would seem something is at odds with the very rhythm of things, and we're forever restless, dissatisfied, frustrated, and aching. We are so overcharged with desire that it's hard to come to simple rest. The word worry comes from two Greek words, which mean division and mind. And so worry is like a divided mind. We're constantly distracted. The English word worry comes from an old English word which means to strangle, to have the life choked out of you. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, don't worry. Now notice, Jesus did not say, Don't worry, be happy. (laughs) That was a statement made, uh, is celebrated in the famous song sung by Bobby McFerrin, but it was a slogan from the Indian mystic Miha Baba, whose last words in 1969 when he died were, don't forget that I am God. And so it's entirely unreliable to simply say, Don't worry, be happy. Here is Jesus saying, don't worry. And this is not some slick cliche from a cool-looking motivational speaker somewhere. This is Jesus. So, let's dig in. Don't worry. First of all, let's know that Jesus speaks reality about life. He speaks reality about life. He says each day has enough trouble of its own. I didn't like country music until I came to America. And I have been converted, yeehaw. (laughs) Sometimes it seems to me that the country songs seem to actually focus on the negative sides of life. Uh, here are some of my, these are actual songs. That, the titles are just are astounding. All my exes live in Texas. And that's why I hang my hat in Tennessee. Here's another one. My wife ran off with my best friend and I sure do miss him. That is terrible. Here's one. When you wrapped my lunch in a road map, I knew you meant goodbye. (laughs) Uh, Here's maybe my favorite. I'm so miserable without you, it's almost like having you here. (laughs) Jesus 
was a realist. He is saying, don't worry to a people who had their land occupied by the Romans, who were living under a crushing tax burden with political uncertainty. We can, we can say, well, you know, you read that in the Bible, but maybe it's different now. No, it's not. Jesus was not suggesting a Disneyland life, the magic kingdom. How many have ever been to Disneyland? Just, it's okay, you can say. I went, and I, and I liked it. Happy, 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 happy. Everyone's happy, happy. And I, I drank the happy Kool-Aid. And I went up to Mickey Mouse and asked for his autograph. And I, I'm suddenly realizing I'm asking a sweating college student <laughs> dressed in fur to sign a name that doesn't even belong to him or her, Mickey. Jesus is not suggesting that we live in the magic kingdom. He's saying, in this world, you'll have trouble, John 16, 33. And he doesn't say it'll be okay because he says tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. So he's talking about today's trouble and tomorrow's too. You see, this is for us, and we get into circles of worry. First of all, we start worrying. And then that leads to anxiety, and then that leads us into stress. And sometimes the circle begins with stress, and the brain gears up for fight or flight, and then we feel anxiety because that dog that looks hungry is not on a lead, and we feel threatened and apprehensive, and then now we worry. We're concerned about finding an escape route. And sometimes the circle begins with anxiety. And it can be for a reason that we're not even sure about. We don't even know why we feel that way. And that leads to stress, physical changes in our body. Then we worry about why we're feeling the way we are. We worry about feeling worried. However the circle starts, it saps our energy for life. Are we ready? Am I ready to listen to Jesus? when he talks about worry? Or do we just say, it's just the way I am, it's the way the world is? Secondly, let's know there's a difference between worth it and worthless worry. There is worth it worry. Let me introduce you to Theta. Theta is a friend of a friend and a new friend to Kay and me. This beautiful lady, she is so gorgeous, she is 106 years old. An amazing lady, we met her a few months ago. Talking with her, she is so sharp. She, she, she'll tell you about the Great Depression. She'll tell you about how she and her husband had their honeymoon in the Armstrong Hotel downtown, and the next day he went off to war for two years. She is a stunning lady. And Kay and I went to see her in the hospital um, last Sunday, and I said, I said, Theda, I'm, I'm talking at Timberline about worry next week. And I, I said, honey, you've been around for a while. I said, in fact, whatever you're on, I'd like to have some, if I may. You know. I said, what can you tell me about worry? You've got, you've got a lot of life experience. And she said, well, there's a good worry. She said, there's a worthwhile worry that leads you into action. And I, I said, Theta, thanks. And I came away and thought about that, and I thought, that's exactly right. 
The Bible doesn't call us to abdicate from taking care of the concerns of everyday life. That somehow we just toss that bill in the drawer and hope it's all going to sort itself out. No, no, Jesus doesn't say don't work or don't plan. In fact, the Bible makes it really clear. Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. Man, that's blunt. Consider its ways and be wise. So there's worth it worry, but there's also worthless worry. Worthless worry. It's got a vivid imagination about the future. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And then Jesus focuses on worry about tomorrow. It's been said that worthless worry is interest paid on trouble before it becomes due. Mark Twain. Mark Twain, who obviously wasn't worried about hairdressers, he said, I am an old man and I have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. A story is told of a man who heard a noise in his home in the middle of the night and he woke up and discovered a burglar standing there. And he said, oh, hi. He said, you need to come and meet my wife. She's been expecting you for the last 30 years. <laughs> and what we think about creates what we do. Jesus says the pagans run. They run. They run after these things. Corrie ten Boom, another amazing Lady, she's with Jesus now, but she spent some years in a concentration camp and lost her family there. But she said, worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you moving, but doesn't get you anywhere. And often worthless worry is about things that we don't have any control over, so it's a waste of time. Sir, here is the news. You can't control the stock market. Stephen Covey, in one of his books, suggests that we sit down and we write two circles or draw two circles. Circles of influence and circles of concern. A circle of concern is the stuff that bothers us, but the smaller circle is that which we have influence over. We're going to put this in the well this week. It's very simple. Do some of us need to do some thinking about our thinking? and realize that where we've got a circle of concern but we have no influence over it other than prayer, which is very important, we consign that to prayer, but we leave that there. So often, worthless worry is focused on that which we have no direct influence over. And then thirdly, let's ask this question, which part of our brains are we listening to? Now, if you're from the medical profession, forgive me, because I'm about to take something really complex and try and explain something, a theory, in the next two minutes. And so if I don't do it justice, please don't get mad with me. But it's believed that the brain uh, is a kind of a, a, a... They talk about the trinity of the brain. The primitive brain is the first part of the brain that is formed in the mother's womb. And the primitive brain is instinctual. What that means is... You don't have to talk to it very much. It tells you that you're hungry. It programs stuff like appetite and, and sex. And, um, but, but it's the primitive brain. It's instinctive. The next part of the brain is the middle brain. It's the emotional part of us. And then the third part of the brain is the new brain or the neocortex. And that's the rational thinking brain. Now, here's the thing. The primitive brain is always on duty. 
because it saves our lives. So when we are threatened, we then have an instant reaction, the primitive brain. But here's the problem. When trouble comes, when we're threatened, the brain doesn't stop and have a board meeting. It doesn't discuss everything. So what happens is we react, but the rational is not yet kicking in. And then two tiny organs atop our kidneys pump adrenaline into our bloodstream, which diverts blood to the arms, fight to the legs, run, but diverts blood away from the neocortex. What that means is our first reaction doesn't have a lot of logic about it. So you hear people say, what was I thinking? You weren't. Or you were, but not with the whole brain. And here's the thing. The primitive brain can't tell the difference between a real threat and an imagined one. So if we're constantly feeding our minds, and of course God knew this before they ever discovered it, which is why in Philippians we're told about feeding our minds with healthy things. If we're constantly feeding our minds with fear, then the anxiety is going to come because the primitive brain is kicking in. And I got an illustration of this even this morning on my way to church. Thank you, Jesus. Because I'm driving along this morning and I suddenly felt chest pain. And I thought, primitive brain kicked in. Primitive brain said, you're having a heart attack. They're going to have to get someone else to preach. Because I'm so diligent. And then, about 30 seconds later, emotional and logical brain kicked in and said, you're drinking coffee, you idiot. It's called heartburn. <laughs> Why am I telling us this or asking us to think about this? Just be aware. Let's slow down. This can affect the way we think. It can affect our relationships. My wife Kay says to me, never respond to a mean email immediately. I get an email. It says, dear Pastor Jeff, I don't like you. You're sincerely in Christ. <laughs> and I, primitive brain goes right. That was an impersonation of a computer. <laughs> Fifteen seconds later, logical brain goes, what are you doing? Let's think about our thinking. Number four, let's know that we're cared for. Let's know that we're cared for. Jesus talks about the things we need. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's a really strong verb there, this cast. Pick up everything that's bothering you, everything that weighs you down. Fling them on God's back. He will carry them. He's delighted to do so. He loves you. He is with you. He will always be with us. Emily Dickinson said in one of her poems about Jesus, she calls him the auctioneer of parting. I love that. I got another email this week from my friend Dave in England. He used to be a pastor. In his earlier life, he worked with asbestos. 
and he, was, he contracted the cancer as a result of that. This week, he's been told, after some years of treatment, that there is nothing more that they can do. This is it. And he sent me an email, and I, I know God heals. I declare that truth, but sometimes it doesn't happen. That's the reality. And he sent me this email, and he says, yeah, he said, I hope we'll get together again before, before I go. And uh, he said, it's all kind of fun, this, this, all this chemo stuff I'm having. And I wrote back to him, I said, Dave, kind of fun? I said, you just amaze me. Thank you for your faith and faithfulness. And he, he wrote me one back. He said, Jeff, it's no good talking about faith if on the worst days of our lives we don't have faith and trust God. And in preparing for this message, I, I read this, this um, phrase this week that kind of frustrated me a little bit, but there's some truth in it. It said, worry is practical atheism. And I thought, that's harsh. But then I allowed that to settle into my soul, and I realized that sometimes I can talk about Jesus being alive on Sunday and then live like an atheist on Monday, as if he were not alive at all. Let's know that we are cared for. Number five, there's a priority to establish daily the kingdom of God. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, let me clarify a couple of things here. Because Matthew in his gospel repeatedly uses the term kingdom of heaven, he doesn't use it in this verse, that has led some people to think that when we're talking about the kingdom, we're talking about Jesus coming back. Well, it includes that, but the kingdom was the main message of Jesus. 32 times in the gospel, I think it is, he talks about the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is the rule of the king. So when we say with the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, we are not saying quick come back, Jesus. We are saying, Jesus, may your kingly rule be established on this earth and may your kingly rule be established in our lives, your kingdom come. Jesus is saying, downgrade worry, upgrade a passion for the kingship of Christ. I'm kind of, I mean, I love being here, but I'm kind of sad to be here this week because it's the Queen's Jubilee in England. And so I think there's two or three days of holiday and there'll be street parties and it's going to be amazing, and, and, and I mean, you know, in our weekly call, I'll, I'll have a little chat with Lizzie and say, look, congratulations, and awesome job, Lizzie, and high five, but I'm kidding, obviously. Some of you believe that for a moment, bless your heart. I'm grateful for a Christian queen who is very open about her faith in Jesus, but I'm more grateful for the Christ who is king. Jesus says, seek the kingdom first. Put your energy there. You see, I've said it before, I'll say it again. That's why hobby Christianity never works. Doesn't work. Jesus calls us to priority, the kingdom of God. Well, the last thing is this, number six, and that is there are some antidotes to anxiety. Prayer, petitions, and thanksgiving. Paul, writing in Philippians 4, 6, says, Do not be anxious about anything. 
But he doesn't stop there. He then says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying peace is not automatic. But as we bring our stuff to God, prayer, and as we practice being thankful, See, Thanksgiving is not just for November. It's a daily practice. And I think thankfulness is something that we can bring to God and something that we can bring to each other. I'm not sure whether to say this, but because this is going to sound a little mushy. But I experienced the joy of that this morning. Because this morning, you know, my alarm, actually not my alarm goes off at six. Little secret here, I set three alarms on Sunday morning. I do. Five minutes after each other because I live with worry that I'm not going to show up. That would be awkward. You might say, that would be great. And my alarm went off this morning and... Kay, who I like to refer to as my lovely Kay, because she really is. We had shared some breakfast, and she always comes out to the garage and waves me goodbye. She always does it. And I'm just pulling out of the garage, and I stopped. Sorry if this is slushy. I turned the engine off and I opened the door and I said, um, honey, I like living with you. And she smiled and said, well, that's a good job. That's a good thing. And in a moment of shared gratitude and thankfulness, there was joy. I look around this room and there are friends here. I won't name you or embarrass you. I thank God for you. I am rich because of you. I celebrate you in my life. Thankfulness changes the way we think. Last night, I'll close with this. Last night I, after the service, a gentleman headed towards me. And, and you know, they say it takes a fraction of a second to make an appraisal of someone. And as he came towards me, I'd never seen him before. And my brain said, this guy looks sharp. He's, and, and, he, he's, and he looks, he looks well, you know, together and, and, and bright and successful. He, looked, he just looked like that. And he came up to me and he said, uh, Pastor Jeff, he said, four years ago I was in prison. I was in jail. He said, I was a hopeless alcoholic. And he said, there were two verses that became my life verses while I was in jail. And one of them was Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. 
And he said the other one was Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Those two verses that were the center of your message tonight. And he said, I was driving around Fort Collins yesterday, kind of aimlessly. And he said, God spoke to me and said, get yourself to the five o'clock at Timberline. Get yourself there. And he said, so I decided to show up and the two life verses. And then he said this. He said, I am amazed by God's tender care and attentiveness to me. Uh, and I, I didn't know what to say. And I, I just quoted to him the words of John Wesley who said, my heart is strangely warmed. Because Jesus is thinking about you right now. Yes, sir, you. Yes, ma'am, you. You say, how, do, how does he do that? There's quite a lot of us. I don't know, but it's what happens when you're God. You are cared for. Let me conclude for the second time by sharing with you the words of a night prayer that comes out of New Zealand. And not every night, but I try and pray this prayer most nights. And occasionally, Kay nudges me and says, what's that prayer again? We have these ridiculous conversations. Sometimes we wake up in the middle of the night and she says to me, are you awake? And I say, yeah. Are you? Here's the prayer. It is night after a long day. What has been done has been done. What has not been done has not been done. Let it be. Amen. Let's pray. You care for us, Lord. We would like that to be translated into the way that we think, react, respond. You care for us. We would like to live in the light of your resurrection and ascension. You are. As the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, we say, Lord, teach us how to conquer worthless worry. Those of us who have surrendered ourselves to sameness, show us. Help us to understand the way that we think a little more. Help us to live in the goodness of your care. With our heads bowed, here's what I would like us to do. I would like to give us the gift of two minutes where nobody, including me, will talk. Our musicians will just play. And in this two minutes, I invite us to simply bring 
our cares to him. Don't just worry in this moment and then stick amen on the end, but bring it to him. I'd like us to have the luxury of that moment and then I'm going to pray one more time. So Lord, we, we thank you for the truth that you care for us. For any of us, Lord, who don't know you, may this be a moment. And I need to just pause in this prayer and say, if you don't know Christ, we want to help you to make that decision. Our prayer team will be here at the end. I'll be out there at the Welcome Center. Other members of our team are here. We would love to pray with you and lead you to a relationship with Jesus. We bring our cares to you. Teach us, we pray, how to live. And we agree together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, and everybody said, amen. I invite you to stand with me if you're able. Let's stand together. And we are going to declare some truth about God together.
trust you down the broken road. May that be our proclamation. May that be our praise. May that be our confession. And may that be our worship as we leave here today. Hey, thank you for those of you that are a part of the Timberline family that give. We work with Convoy of Hope to send financial resources right now to Ukraine, but also to the fires in Mexico. You can continue to give online or there's an offering bucket on the way out. Also wanted to let you guys know if you took a next step of faith or there's something that's on your heart that this service brought up that we can partner with you in prayer or next steps, there's gonna be a team up here up front and they're here to be that resource for you, let you know where you go from here and meet you in the space of prayer. Also in our mall table, we've got some counseling resources, people that would love to talk to you about things that you're going through and an opportunity to write down prayer requests and worries and anxieties that you have. You can put them in our prayer room, on our prayer wall. And as a staff, we have the privilege of praying for you from those prayer requests during the week. We love you guys. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus to the people in your lives. We love you.